we think about tech companies and social media companies specifically, they're for-profit businesses, right? And so they're really thinking about their bottom line and how they can make money and not always as much on how they're impacting the communities that they serve, the customers that they serve. Welcome to season three of Confident with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. This season, we're going to talk with some fierce, unapologetically ambitious women about what it means to be an inclusive leader. Are you ready? Episode five, Angela Scott asks, what the F, Facebook? So, hey, Liv, um, nice to see you at UPenn. This is actually our first podcast that we've recorded since you went away to college. Hi. <laughs> it's so exciting to have you back for, for our Confident Podcast so that we can continue these important conversations with fierce women and, and to really shine a light on all the things our community needs to know to become a confident, inclusive leader. Um, so we always start with a current event, and I think the pressing current event this week is Mental health. I mean, all of the headlines and our experience at Live Girl are really highlighting how the pandemic has worsened mental health, especially for teen girls. Yeah, for sure. And thankfully, superstars like Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles are normalizing the conversation and showing us how to put our mental health first. It's so important. And Liv, I hope as a college freshman that you're practicing self-care. And so here's a quiz for you. What's your favorite way to practice self-care on UPenn's campus? I make sure that like, you know, I get out and get meals with friends, even if it's just at a dining hall, you know, just spending time with my group of friends. I study outside when possible. And most important thing for me is trying to pet all the dogs that I can on campus. <laughs> okay, Lucy, our golden doodle is gonna be very jealous to hear that, <laughs> but I think dog therapy truly works. So that's good. Yeah. So speaking of mental health, today we're gonna focus on an important topic, social media, which is really weighing on girls' mental health. Uh, do you want to introduce our guest today? I'd love to. Angela Scott is the executive director of Media Girls, a nonprofit whose mission is to teach girls and young women to become critical media consumers. She's been involved with Media Girls for over four years, and we reached out after the recent Wall Street Journal expose, Facebook knows Instagram is toxic for teen girls, company documents show. She's also an accomplished marathon runner with four marathons under her belt. Wow. She resides in the North End neighborhood of Boston. Welcome to Confident, Angela. Thank you. Thank you both so much for having me. This is really exciting. <laughs> We're very excited to have you. So let's jump right in. And the first question we like to ask our guests is, tell us something that Google doesn't know about you. Oh, that's a good one. Something that Google doesn't know about me. Mm -hmm. I would hope Google still doesn't know most things about me. Um, <laughs> but as we know, social media definitely contributes to that. Um, but I would say something that Google doesn't know about me is I'm a huge advocate of taking a daily nap. Oh. Um, ever since I was little, I couldn't sleep anywhere and everywhere. Um, and especially, you know, in being new to this role at Meteor Girls, I'm someone that gets up in the morning, I'm up by like, you know, six or seven and can do work. And then by like one or 2 p.m., I need that power nap to get me through the rest of the day. Um, so yeah, huge, huge fan of taking a daily nap. Well, I guess a bonus of work from home during the pandemic is that you can take those naps without <laughs> anyone knowing. Oh, definitely. That's why I'm also a huge proponent of working remotely, <laughs> at least on some days so that I could roll onto the couch, roll back onto my laptop or 
make it work. Okay, so note to self, do not call Angela during one to two o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and if you could remind my mom that as well, that would be great. <laughs> That's so funny. So Angela, let's jump right in and address the elephant in the room. We've all anecdotally known that social media, especially Instagram with its focus on face and body comparison has a negative effect on girls' mental health. But to read the Wall Street Journal expose on how Facebook has full knowledge of this is infuriating. Can you share your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I stand with, you know, you both and a lot of folks when, you know, I say I'm also infuriated and frustrated um, and frankly, not surprised. I mean, I think, you know, when we think about tech companies and social media companies specifically, um, they're for-profit businesses, right? And so they're really thinking about their bottom line and how they can make money um, and not always as much on how they're impacting the communities that they serve, the customers that they serve. Um, and so being in the nonprofit world, right, we obviously have a double bottom line. So we're always thinking about, you know, profit in a sense of, you know, what can we reinvest into the organization, but then also the people and the impact that we're having on, you know, the communities that we intend to serve and sort of what is that, you know, societal issue that we're really trying to work to change. And so that's why I struggle sometimes with, you know, tech companies in general, and obviously Facebook in this instance, um, is that sometimes I think they exploit the people that they serve for their own, you know, you know, to fill their own pockets. And so I think this is, again, another opportunity for Facebook. I mean, I think there have been multiple opportunities for Facebook to really do some self-reflection and think about, you know, what kind of stamp um, they want to have on the world. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, for the first time really started to find out about some of this stuff by watching The Social Dilemma um, on Netflix, which is a documentary that came out. Documentary. Um, yep. Um, and so that was the first time that people had really gotten to see some insight into, you know, how social media companies function and sort of how they, you know, operate and the algorithms behind them and, and sort of how they manipulate our behavior um, and all that kind of stuff. And so that was an opportunity, right, for Facebook to come out and be like, okay, the public is now, you know, really educated about this stuff. What are we doing about it? Um, and so, you know, I was discouraged that, you know, nothing came out after that opportunity for them to really speak up um, and to make some changes. And so this is another one, I think, you know, Wall Street Journal really bringing to light, um, you know, the fact that leaders of the organization know that the negative, the negative effects they're having on girls' mental health. Um, and I think girls are obviously the main group um, or demographic that get affected the hardest um, when it comes to social media and, and it's tied to mental health. And so, yeah, I'm frustrated. I'm, you know, I continue to remain hopeful that there will become a point where, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for young people to really speak up to and, and girls to be able to fight back um, and demand more from organizations like Facebook and Instagram. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely remain frustrated at the fact that, you know, we continue to have these conversations and we know that this stuff is happening and yet the people that are doing it still feel like, um, you know, there's nothing they can really do to change it. 
For sure. Yeah. And I mean, these facts really are staggering. Um, according to Facebook company documents, for example, Instagram made body issue image issues worse for one in three teenage girls. Like, as you said, they know that these things are happening and they don't necessarily care because they are trying to make a profit. Um, but can you tell us how you teach girls to manage and navigate social media? Yeah, I mean, so the statistics, you know, continue to be upsetting. Um, and upsetting is an understatement. Um, but yeah, I mean, so Media Girls, our organization, we're a nonprofit. We're based in Boston, Massachusetts. And our mission is really, like you said, to teach girls to become critical social media consumers. And so um, the organization was founded in 2014 by Michelle Cove, who is still a very dear friend um, and mentor. And I think about some of the first conversations I had with Michelle um, and you know, something that stuck out to me was that she always spoke from a place of social media being a tool and that it has a lot of positive components and capabilities of it to really connect and for girls to speak up and, you know, to advocate for themselves and to have a voice. And so at Media Girls, we continue to come from a place of, you know, hope and connection and using social media for good. Um, and so, you know, as we lead workshops in the community, that's always one of the first things we say is that, we know there are a lot of challenging, you know, components to social media, but that, you know, we really believe it can still be a tool for good. And the second thing, you know, is really around making girls feel like they have the power and teaching girls, you know, that they have the power to really own their relationship with social media. So we don't come into our workshop saying like, you need to limit screen time. You need to get off Instagram, you know, like get off TikTok, stop scrolling through, um, but really giving them the power to own you know, the relationship they want to have. So throughout the workshop, we teach them, you know, a range of different things, um, all really coming from a critical thinking lens. So again, we're not telling them a certain way to think, but really just getting them to really think about what they're consuming. So them, the first one's really all about recognizing unrealistic beauty and body standards. So looking at, you know, filters and Photoshop and, um, you know, all the editing components that can take place on photo and video, on Instagram, TikTok, any social media account. Um, we talk about, you know, really looking at social media and the relationship that you have with social media and taking, you know, a step back and kind of setting your own, you know, parameters around it. So again, that could include setting time limits that could look like, um, you know, maybe you're using Instagram, but you're not using TikTok because you just get sucked into scrolling through all the different videos um, and you end up down a rabbit hole two hours later. So you're someone that's like, I'm just going to focus on Instagram. This is how I stay connected with my friends. This is how I want to use it. Um, you know, and then we also really just talk about, you know, what I spoke about when we were talking about Facebook, like what are the algorithms that take place? Why are you seeing, you know, only certain content on your feed? And if you're only seeing certain content, how do you diversify your content? How do you follow, you know, new people um, and sort of curating your feed so that it's not necessarily, you know, what Facebook or, um, you know, TikTok thinks that you should be consuming, but you really having more of a stance and power on, you know, what you're seeing. So a range of different things um, that we talk about, but again, really coming back to giving girls the power to own their relationship and feeling like they have that power instead of, you know, just consuming and sort of being sucked into um, all the algorithms and, and sort of, you know, content that social media companies sort of project onto them. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. And I think it's so important to really 
equip young girls and young women with the skills they need to critically think about what they're consuming on social media. And it's like, I remember meeting Michelle years ago, many years ago, and her analogy with, you know, parents letting their kid drive a car for the first time. It's like, they don't just like hand them the keys and say, okay, highways that way. You know, they put them through months and months of driver's education. And then there's, you know, the, you get the permit where you get to drive with the parent for a while and then eventually hand them the keys and, you know, and say, stay safe and obey the, the traffic laws. But you're, there's, you know, a lot of learning that goes around that, that new skill. And I think with social media and, and with the age of, of girls getting phones going younger and younger without having those skills, it's just, it's a, it's a dangerous mix. Um, so thank you for all that you're doing. What do you think the parents' role is in all of this? Like what, what should parents be doing? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great, you know, a great comparison in, you know, Michelle speaking about the driver's ed. And we still talk about that today about, you know, our workshop really being that sort of license before you get a social media account is, that girls should really take our real media girl workshop and educate themselves on, you know, what they're going to be consuming before as a 13 year old, they're jumping onto these apps and really not knowing sort of how to navigate them. So, I mean, I think really the same is true for parents, right? So, I mean, you already kind of touched on it, but educating yourself. So I think sometimes we'll have parents that will um, talk with us and be like, I know nothing about social media. Um, You know, what do I do? And so, I think there are two things. One, obviously come to our parent talks. We do parent talks, you know, throughout the year on a number of different topics. Um, And I think the other is just educating yourself, doing research, looking at, you know, the apps that are out there, talking to your girl. You know, again, it can sometimes be hard talking to, you know, a teen that might not want to totally open up about their world of social media to you, but really trying to build that relationship with them, I think is super important to understand how they're using it. Um, because, you know, again, everyone is sort of using it differently. I think that's the thing that's also, you know, scary to parents is that, you know, it really changes by community. We talk to parents and girls at one school that, you know, Instagram is the huge, you know, app. And then we'll talk to parents and girls at another school and Snapchat is where everyone is. So really trying to understand how your girls use the apps um, and which ones they're on, I think is really helpful and important. Um, and also modeling the behavior. I mean, I think we're all, we can all be guilty of this at any age, but, you know, if you're, you know, talking with your girl about setting, you know, having her set her own boundaries around screen time or app use or um, content or things like that, you also being able to model that behavior so that you're not sitting on your phone scrolling through for hours at a time um, or things like that. So number one, yeah, just educating yourself, really, you know, trying to stay as current as you can, reaching out to, you know, other parents and organizations like Media Girls or, um, you know, others that are out there to help give you the tools that you need to sort of navigate them, but then really just having those conversations um, as much as you can and as open and honestly as you can. And I think the more you share as a parent um, about your experience and, and sort of your, you know, feelings about social media, the more your girl can open up as well. Yeah, for sure. I think like that education and that like dynamic relationship between girls and their parents and being open and like you said, like modeling that behavior is so incredibly important. Um, For me personally, I use social media mostly to amplify causes that I care about. 
Um, and at Live Girl, we call this using social media for social good. Uh, what are your favorite influencers who do this and use social media for social good? Yeah, I love that. I love that you all use that social media for social good. Um, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think as someone that works in the social media world and educates and you know teaches girls about this, I also have to set my own boundaries, right? And so I don't often, when I look on my feeds of like Instagram or Facebook, I don't follow a lot of, I guess what we'd call like influencers from like a large scale follower perspective or celebrities. Um, I really try to use the apps to stay connected with friends and family. And I think, you know, my influencers that I see on my feed are more, I guess what we would call micro influencers. So one of them that I'm thinking about right now um, is actually one of our board members. Her name's Pebbles and she's a radio personality in Boston. Um, and I think she has like 20,000 followers or something like that, but she just always posts real and authentic content. Um, just thinking about her, I think last week, or maybe two weeks ago, it was singles week. And she posted like, you know, videos being real about being single and how it's not always talked about on social media when everyone's posting about their weddings or, you know, their romantic vacations. And so I like to follow people like her um, that really are just real and authentic. And then, you know, I think of more of the bigger, I guess, bigger scale influencers. You had mentioned Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles. I mean, those women, I think, again, are using their platform to really speak to, especially mental health, um, you know, and how it relates to their career and their life and navigating that together. Um, and then I also just think about, we have a youth advisory board um, that's made up of high school girls. Um, and they often clue me in on um, new influencers, new people to follow, whether it's, you know, young people, especially that are fighting for racial justice or um, gender inclusivity or whatever it is. Um, they expose me to new people all the time. And I always, you know, am, am, am open to seeing sort of what, what the young people are doing. Um, because those people excite me. And I think those are the people that are going to change social media. Um, and so, yeah, that's, how, that's what I would say. No, I, but I think Angela, it's such a great point to be, to have a conscious competence around how social media makes you feel and to really curate yeah. your feed with stuff that's going to make you feel good. And, and also you mentioned earlier about how with Facebook, you really want to see these younger, you know, the Gen Z fighting back. And I do think that's the best way to fight back. Gen, Gen Z, here's your message. Like use social media for social good. You know, turn it, turn it on its head and really let's use Instagram to amplify the causes you care about. Uh, next, coming up on October 9th, we're having a big day of the girl celebration featuring um, Mari Kapani, who is better known as Little Miss Flint. And she has used Instagram and social media to really lead her community through the whole Flint water crisis. And I think it's, incredible when you look at it from that perspective, the, the positive potential of social media. And I do think that that's, you know, the best way that Gen Z can have the final word on this whole conversation is, is to use social media for social good and to really think about, you know, what makes you feel good and, and to curate your feed based on that. The best Someone said, Marie Kondo, your feed. And I love that, right? <laughs> like just go through your feed every once in a while. And anyone that doesn't make you feel good or any negative content, just unfollow, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> take, take it out of your feed. Um, but, you know, this, this whole conversation is especially important right now because during the pandemic, actually girls have consumed much more social media during the pandemic. And 
you know, they've been more isolated at home. And one third of girls report that they spend six hours or more per day on social media. I can't even imagine it of that. But then, you know, up to 80% of girls, of course, feel more lonely or isolated since COVID. And it's, it's shown that social media makes you feel more lonely. So can you talk about that cause and effect of girls consuming more social media during the pandemic and now feeling much more isolated and lonely, not just alone, but lonely? Yeah, I mean, again, I feel like when you look at the statistics and you see the numbers themselves, they're scary, right? Like six plus hours a day, what could you be doing with mm. that amount of time, um, you know, at that age? And I think, yeah, I mean, I think COVID has brought to light a lot of challenges in our society, right? A lot of injustices. Um, and, you know, to speak first, I, I think we don't know, you know, the downstream effects yet of how COVID is, you know, going to affect us in many ways, right? Um, and I think social media is one of them and, and sort of spending more time um, isolated and lonely. I mean, I think this obviously has an effect on our mental health. It has an effect on how we socialize with other humans, um, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously the more time we're spending on social media, um, the more likely these, you know, numbers are to go up. And that's why I think there is, you know, a, a point to be said about limiting screen time to a certain degree to be able to, you know, bring those numbers down a little bit. Um, but this is again, where I feel like we need to have these conversations, right? Girls are reporting that they feel more lonely or isolated. You know, I think we need to speak directly to them and ask them what could help and what is, you know, what is the root cause of this? Um, you know, I think what worries me is how visual social media is becoming and that, you know, we're going to see over the next couple of years how much more social media trans transitions to be a more commercialized product, you know, so we're already seeing it on Instagram and TikTok where now you have, you know, shopping, you know, features and components where you can, you know, click directly on an influencer's post and, you know, it takes you directly to, you know, a cart and you can shop and, you know, check out instantly. And so, you know, I, I think we have to start, you know, getting, getting to the root of this before it continues to keep going down this path. Um, because again, we're, there's, there's so much content that girls are consuming. And if they're not curating their feeds or setting those boundaries or really trying to mitigate some of these challenges, then we're only going to see those numbers come up. I mean, I'm hopeful that with more, you know, in-person schooling and in-person activities and programs like yours um, that, you know, girls will be off screens and really more in-person connecting with, you know, their peers. Um, but yeah, I think we have to also be realistic about, you know, social media and sort of where it's going and making sure that we're educating girls, um, you know, that what they're seeing is not, you know, is often a highlight reel. And so when they're feeling lonely or isolated and they see someone you know, on a beach vacation or, you know, hanging out with friends that it's not always, you know, the full and complete story. Um, and obviously that's only a part of the solution, but I think we have to have these open and honest conversations or we'll continue to get worse. Yeah. To your point, the best line from the social dilemma, Netflix document documentary, it was that if you're not paying for a product, you are the product. And so mm. to your point, just to keep that in mind and think about what's, what's really going on there. Mm-hmm. I mean, and kind of tying into that, that very powerful quote, but like, 
you mentioned how girls need to curate their feeds and everything. And these strategies are very helpful, like on, on the individual level, but what needs to happen like company-wide, like what should Facebook be doing to control social media or to make social media a safer, like better place for girls and for everyone? And, yeah, please, I mean, and please let's not allow this Instagram for kids to be long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the million dollar question, right? Is like, what, what could they be doing? What should they be doing? I mean, I, I too place a lot of the ownership on this, you know, challenge and problem to live with these tech companies and the social media, you know, companies themselves, the Facebooks, um, to really take some ownership again, back to your original question of like, sort of, you know, how is this, how has this grown into what it's become and sort of what, what are my thoughts on Facebook is that, you know, you have to, you have to really take a second and think about the impact that you're having. And, you know, if, if social media companies continue to go on the way they will, I I don't know. I mean, that's where I think Gen Z and this next generation of young leaders isn't going to stand for it. I mean, you see that with, you know, calls for racial justice in our society. Young people are standing up and saying no and pushing back and using social media or whatever it is to really speak to causes they care about. And so, I, I mean, I think if social media doesn't take, if these companies don't really take a stance um, and start to own some of their you know, decisions, that I'm curious to see if young people will boycott them um, or push back or, or whatever it is. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the responsibility lives with them, um, especially as they're sort of shifting to become more commercialized. Um, and, you know, can young people call them on their BS and be like, we're, you know, we know you're trying to manipulate us and sell things to us um, and, and not stand for it? Because I think again, if we don't speak up, if we don't say anything, they're going to continue to operate this way. Um, I mean, I think there's obviously also the question about, you know, sort of government involvement and not having any sort of, you know, privacy and legislation around this. I mean, I think that's a whole other ballgame, especially when it comes to, you know, misinformation um, and, and fake news that also gets out there with, you know, any age of, especially with young people on social media. Um, continues to be an issue as well so I really think it has to be a holistic you know attack so to speak of you know getting more getting more you know support from government getting you know young people and activists to really speak up against these companies and the companies themselves to really take responsibility for it and rethink you know their strategy going forward and and sort of you know how they're how they're showing up in the world because I just don't think young people are going to stand for it too much longer. Yeah, and I would say that to tell everyone to write their local representatives, because Facebook is appearing before the Senate Commerce Subcommittee soon to talk about this new Instagram for kids for 13 and other, and I just, I don't think it's a good idea. But anyways, um, we could talk all day. I hope that every parent and daughter listens to this podcast before handing over the keys to the car or the phone for the social media. Um, Let's end on on a fun note. So you are a marathon runner for marathons, incredible. Um, what, you. when's your next race and what, what would you say is one leadership lesson that you've learned from training and running in marathons? Yeah. I mean, I think, well, to answer your first question, next race, I don't know when that will be yet. I'm actually eight months pregnant. So that oh. running marathons <laughs> on the back. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's on the back burner. I'm just cheering from the sidelines right now. I know. By Boston. the way, if, if you post your baby announcement on social media, that would be considered using social media for social. Care. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you've heard it here. Um, yeah, but I so I started running um, really in college. So it's funny, Olivia. You said freshman year. I think that's when I really started running. I used to be someone that you know played team sports, and so got into running in college. My dad. Um, started running marathons I think when he had you know sort of a midlife crisis at 40 and would run a marathon would run two marathons a year and so I remember going to see him running Boston for the first time um and that I remember just catching the bug and being like I have to I have to do this I have to experience it and so yeah I've run four run Boston New York City um and a few just more like local um ones here in Massachusetts but yeah running marathons really has taught me so much. Um, and I think, you know, we always think about the marathon itself, right. But the training component of it, I think is what really, you know, has impacted me as a person and as a leader. Um, you know, you usually train, you know, to think backwards from race day, you're usually following, I follow typically a 20 week training schedule. So you start off with short runs and you slowly build up, you know, your longer runs. And that's the time when you, you know, test out, you know, outfit changes or, you know, different fueling, you know, things, whether you're using like, you know, the goo or the gummies or, you know, your hydration, all of those sorts of things. And so, I mean, I really equate that to what you, you know, experience as a leader is that you really have to be open to take risks and to try things. And sometimes they're not going to work out. Sometimes they will work out and, you know, really course correcting going from there. And then when you're on race day, the same thing happens, right? You could have you can go into it having an amazing training schedule and then you just have a really bad race day or vice versa. So yeah, I mean, I think it's taught me so much about myself and being just resilient, getting up every day, trying again, even if it's, you know, even if you've had a bad day before is just always showing up. Um, and I think that's what I try to do as a leader in this organization too. And to model for our girls is that days are going to be hard and some days are going to be great. And, you know, showing up every day and giving it your best is really all you can ask for. So I look forward to getting back out there on the roads running some point in the future, but we'll see when marathons creep back in. That's awesome. And we'll be cheering for you. Um, it was so great to talk to you today, Angela. Thanks for sharing your time and perspective. And we're, we'll be sure to put in the program notes um, info on media girls. You guys have so many great resources for parents and families. And also I'm going to put a, a note in there on the social um, dilemma documentary. I think that's a really good resource as well. And just a note to everyone is um, please, wherever you listen to your podcast, rate and review it. It helps other people find your podcast. And we're, we thank you all for joining today for this conversation. So take care.